Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that you have communicated yourself in a book. Father, your presence is mediated this morning through this act of preaching by the power of your spirit through, through truth. And I, I pray, Father, that you would help me to tell the truth this morning and that you would help us to see as a fellowship what is on the line in the call to love one another this morning. Lord, this is a, it's a topic that could easily wash over us. Christians are supposed to love one another and so on. Lord, I pray it would not wash over us. This is not something that is native to us. But it is so in Christ. So would you come, Holy Spirit, would you make the first of the fruits of the Spirit bloom and blossom and take root in our church in an unbreakable, living way? Father, this week and next, would you teach us to love one another? Come now and assist me as I preach in Jesus' name. Amen. I have three words that I'd like to set before us this morning. Three words, and by way of convenience, I'll give them uh, through alliteration. How about that? If you were here on Good Friday, you heard these three words. Here are the three words. Happy, hard, help. Happy, hard, help. We'll take each of these in turn. Happy. When I say happy, I mean to refer to the realm of joy. At the end of the day, I don't personally distinguish too finely between happiness and joy. I know that some do, just know that I, I don't for the purposes of this sermon, nor do I think the Bible distinguishes too finely between them. So happiness, I mean joy, delight, pleasure, enjoyment, bliss, elation, thrill, glee, cheerfulness, exhilaration, desire, gladness, satisfaction, that's what I'm driving at when I say happy. I'm speaking of a pleasing emotional condition, profound joy, happy. Second word, hard, hard. When I say hard, I want you to hear me saying difficult, awkward, problematic, tricky, tough, demanding, Challenging, testing, grueling, arduous, troublesome, painful, hard. By hard, I mean to speak of sacrifice, cost, personal investment, expense, whether mental or emotional or financial or physical expense. Okay? Hard. Last word, help. Help. When we hear this word, we want to be thinking assistance. Aid. We want to be thinking about relief and facilitation and improvement of person's circumstances. Amelioration. That's a good ACT word that I learned when I was 17. 
amelioration, alleviation, benefit, support, service, comfort, advantage. That's what we mean by help. So three words. Happy, hard, help. And the reason we're beginning with those three words this morning is because that is my current biblical definition of love. That's what I believe love, the Bible says, is. Now, you're under no compulsion to believe that this morning unless I can demonstrate that from the pages of Scripture. So this week and next, especially uh, through the use of your community group study questions, uh, that is what I intend to do. I hope to persuade you of this definition or something like it because God is calling us as a church to love one another. But what's love? We should sweat this definition. We should think through this carefully. And I believe that love is something like living lives of happy, hard help toward one another. That is, for my supreme joy, perhaps at great cost to myself, laying myself out for the advancement of another person. Love. And I will urge you this Sunday and next to work your way through the community group study questions. If you're part of a group, to take a look at those or maybe even hop in a group this, this week or next just for the purposes of doing that. At the very least, reading through them uh, as an individual and studying them. This week and next, we're going to learn about love together as a congregation. And the reason why we're going to devote that kind of time as a church to do this is very simple. No one will know that we are Christ's disciples if we do not have love for one another. Let that fall on you for a minute. No one will know that we are Christ's disciples if we do not have love for one another. People will not know that we are Christ's disciples if we have a great website. People will not know that we are Christ's disciples if we have killer coffee in the fellowship hall. People will not know that we are Christ's disciples if we have nearly a half million dollar building renovation. They won't. But they will know that we are Christ's disciples if we love one another. Jesus said in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus said it positively, but what Jesus says in the affirmative, we can just flip around and say in the negative and, and have the truth before us as well, maybe in a fresh way. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen. But it stands to reason that no one will know that we are Christ's disciples. No one will know unless we have love for one another. This week, we're going to learn that we should not be like Cain. We are in grave danger to ourselves or to one another if we become like Cain. If I've piqued your curiosity even a little, I will invite you to open a Bible to 1 John Chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. First John chapter 3, and verse 11. If you wanted to follow along in one of the red Bibles, uh, the text can be found on page 1022. 1022 in the red Bibles. First uh, John 
chapter 3, and I'll read verses 11 to 15. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. No one will know that we are Christ's disciples if we do not have love for one another. So here's the first of three points today. Mount Evangelical Free Church. We should love one another. This is Christianity 101. We should love one another. This is Christianity 101. And when I use the phrase Christianity 101, that's not a sermonic uh, flourish, even though I like those. Um, I'm not just wordsmithing a preaching point here. I'm trying to represent with language exactly what the Apostle John says about Christian love in verse 11. Let's look at it together. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. When does John say that his hearers heard this message? From the beginning. From the beginning. What does that mean? Well, on one level, he's talking about the beginning of our lives as Christians. From the very beginning, from the first step that we ever took with Jesus. It's the command that we've heard from the very start of our lives in Christ, even before our lives in Christ start. We hear it in Sunday school. From the very beginning. So love one another is entry-level instruction for the church. It's, it's freshman year subject matter. It's basic coursework. Christianity 101. From the very beginning, we've heard this message, we should love one another. And actually, we shouldn't just love one another. In point of fact, Christians ought to be the greatest lovers in the world. We, our church, should be a clinic on love. Happy hard help. If you're with us on Good Friday, uh, March 29th, you know that this was the point of the sermon that night. Uh, Christians ought to be the greatest lovers in the world. Why? A couple of reasons. Number one, only Christians know love's true source. Only Christians know love's true source. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Christians ought to be the greatest lovers in the world because only Christians know love's true source. Love is from God because God is love. And only Christians know the one true God. We should have the market cornered on this thing called love. Another reason Christians ought to be the greatest lovers in the world is because only Christians celebrate love's 
ultimate expression. Only, only Christians celebrate love's ultimate expression. And what's, what's love's ultimate expression? John tells us in 1 John 4, 9, and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, so the ultimate expression of love is the bloody cross on top of Calvary. That is as good as love gets. And for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12 tells us, he endured the cross to bring us to God. If you're with us today and you're not a Christian, I invite you to make love's truest expression your very own this morning. The gospel, the message of the gospel is not behave, it's believe. Believe in Jesus who loves you very much. In his death and resurrection for you, Jesus, whether or not you know it, gave you happy, hard help. For the joy set before him endured the cross to bring you to God. So turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus today. Christians ought to be the greatest lovers in the world because only Christians know love's true source. One more reason that Christians ought to be the greatest lovers in the world is that only Christians can live lives of love. Only Christians can live lives of love. Uh, Once again, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. For whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love is not the domain or, or even the live possibility of the general population of the world. At least not love for God and love for other people. Love for self is You can only love yourself, left to yourself. But Romans 5.5, Paul tells us, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. Or another way to say it is the way that Paul does in Galatians 5.22. You just finished the phrase here. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Comes from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So Christians ought to be the greatest lovers in the world because only Christians can live lives of love. If we don't love, who's going to? So we should love one another. This is Christianity 101. The call to love is the one we've heard from the very beginning. John says this is basic. This is elementary. This is fundamental, rudimentary Christianity. It's the message we've heard from the beginning. Now, the idea from the beginning... It it shouldn't just call to mind the idea of the beginning of our Christian lives. John, maybe more than most writers of Scripture, loves to use words deeply. And so when Judas went out from the presence of Jesus, he went out and it was night. Dun, dun, dun. And John does it here, but only with reference to the word beginning. It's a very picturesque way of talking. When John says, from the beginning... We ought to be thinking the beginning of our Christian lives, but then we ought to get our eyes up on the world around us and begin to think creation. From the very beginning of the world, 
John enjoys the sort of wordplay. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He says something similar in 1 John 2.7. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Or listen to John's, the opening verse in John's gospel. You probably know this. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. So when John says, love one another, it's the message we've heard from the beginning we're totally thinking in the right direction if we're considering ultimate beginnings, ancient beginnings. In other words, the opening movements of the Bible. And that's why he says what he says in verse 12. The very next thing on John's mind is, this is the message we've had from the beginning. We should not be like Cain. All the way back in the beginning. We should not be like Cain where brotherly hate had its beginning. So point number one, Mount Evangelical Free Church, we should love one another. This is Christianity 101. But the second point today is Mount Evangelical Free Church, we should not hate one another. But this is a very real temptation for us. We should not hate one another. But this is a very real temptation temptation for us. Please listen carefully to verses 12 and 13. We, Christians, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his others, his brother's righteous. Brothers, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. We should not be like Cain. Uh, We heard Dave Anderson read the story for us in Genesis chapter 4. You don't need to turn there, but you just need to remember a couple of basic realities and contours about that story. We need to know why John chose this story for the church that he was talking to and why this is the story that we need to pay attention to. Cain and Abel were brothers. They were the first descendants, the first kids of Adam and Eve. Cain was the older brother. Abel was the younger brother. And both of them are giving their offering for worship before the Lord. Cain, as he was a farmer, brought an offering from his crop And Abel, as he was a shepherd, brought from his flock. Now, Abel's offering wasn't superior to Cain's because it was from the flock. Uh, Scripture never wraps anyone over the knuckles for giving what they have. Cain was a farmer, and so he gave what he had. Abel was a shepherd, and he gave what he had. It wasn't in the actual thing, the, the thing that they brought that was the problem. But there is a problem, and the problem is that Abel brought the very best he had. That was the nature of his sacrifice. Genesis 4, 4, and 5. Abel brought also of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. 
And you may feel as though you can't tap into this because you're not a farmer or a shepherd or a murderer. And this is just sort of flying over your head. Even though you understand it, you're just failing to see how this connects in your life this morning. But have you ever watched someone else succeed while you failed right alongside them? You ever see another person just thrive and flourish while you didn't? Do you know the experience of sitting by and seeing someone else get recognized and acknowledged and appreciated when you get overlooked and you go unrecognized and disregarded? Of course you have. Each of us have. When you feel that in your flesh, it burns. It stings. This experience was so bitter tasting for Cain, he actually rose up in anger, lashed out, and killed his younger brother. He hated him. He just hated him. So John says in verse 12, we should not be like Cain. You may say this morning, but I'm not like Cain. But look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You say, but I don't hate anyone here. Really? Have you ever, for example, even one time, gossiped about somebody else in this church? Did you know that that's hate? It's not love. One definition of gossip that I found helpful is that gossip is saying to a person's back, which you would not say to that person's face. It's pretty good. You you know you've done this. I'm thinking, I've got the Rolodex in my mind of how often I've done this. Saying to a person's back, which you would not say to their face. And just so you know, flattery is saying to a person's face, which you would not say to that person's back. That's another sermon. Let's drill down here on gossip. Gossip is saying to a person's back what you would not say to their face. We can get even more specific. This is the way that I would think about it. Gossip, this is so tasty. Gossip is talking about the sufferings or the sins of another person without their permission to someone else. It is giving words to the sufferings or the sins of another person not involved in this conversation without their permission. That's even clearer in my mind, I think. You say, okay, I've I've done that. You got me. I just don't think it's murder. I don't think it's that big a deal, really. I know I shouldn't do it, but everyone does it. And if that's your perspective... You just need to know how radically out of step 
you are with the ethics of the New Testament. Romans 1.29, Paul does mention gossip right alongside such sins as murder and hating God. Why? Because gossip kills churches. Kills them. I'm serious. I don't have a statistic on this, but I would wager to guess that more churches have been ripped apart by gossip, by gossip, than by adultery, theft, and heresy combined. I'd bet my hands on it. So gossip is talking about the sufferings or the sins of another person without their permission. Do you understand how widespread this is? This is the air we breathe. Now, for sure, we will sin. We will sin. And we will talk about sin. And we've been given two ways to do that. Two C words. One is confess. Confess your sins to one another. James 5.16. Confess your sins. That's one way to sin and talk about it. Confess it. The other appropriate way to talk of sin is to confront sin in one another head on between you and the person alone. Confront sin. Confess sin. Confront sin. I'm thinking here especially in terms of confrontation. Uh, Matthew 7, Matthew 18, Galatians 6, 1 Corinthians 5. Confront sin in one another. Confession and confrontation. It's also known as church discipline. Church discipline. So we will sin and we will talk about it, but the only ways we're permitted to do so is by way of confession and confrontation. When you begin to see that, that those are the two options, the Christian options on the table for talking about sin, it begins to take your breath away. I had uh, lunch with a, with a brother one time, and we realized that our relationship was just all too much gossip, and so we decided, not going to happen anymore. And then the brother looked at me across the table from lunch. We were sitting in an establishment in the area, and he said, well, what are we going to talk about then? <laughs> and I said, brother, we are going to talk about my sin. And we're going to talk about your sin. And when other people emerge in the conversation, and they will, they will, we will speak of the evidences of God's grace in their lives that we see. We will talk it up. We're not going to flatter. We're not going to say anything that someone's back we wouldn't say to their face. Don't, don't make stuff up. But let's, let's be committed to using our mouths for building up. And it's been beautiful. We text each other back and forth scriptures about Gossip, not gossiping, but hold our tongues and then how to, how to uh, use our words in a, a way that builds up. Um, question, when, when was the last time that you confessed your sin or confronted another person in their sin? One more question, when was the last time you gossiped? You can just see how this, the weights shift here. Um, which are you more adept at? Confessing your sins to others or confessing the sins of others? Which is easier? Part of the reason why gossip is so attractive is that it involves truth-telling. It does. Slander is when you lie about someone else's 
sufferings or sins. That's, that's doubly bad. And if you do it in an email, it's libel, which is just worse. But gossip even has a holy feel to it. Because you're telling the truth. It's just not truth you're permitted to tell. It's hate. Ray Ortland, pastor in southern United States, writes, Gossip makes us feel important and needed as we declare our judgments. Gossip makes us feel included to know the inside scoop. Gossip makes us feel powerful to cut someone else down to size, especially someone we're jealous of. Gossip makes us feel righteous, even responsible to pronounce someone else as guilty. Gossip can feel good in multiple ways, but it is of the flesh, not of the spirit. Gossip is a sin rarely disciplined, but often more socially destructive than sensational sins. Gossip leaves a wide trail of devastation wherever and however it goes. Gossip erodes trust and destroys morale. Gossip creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what's being said behind their backs, whether appearances of friendship are sincere. Gossip ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. Gossip manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary or beneficial. Gossip makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist, destroyers rather than healers. Gossip exhausts the energies we would rather devote to a positive witness. We would otherwise devote to positive witness. Here's my favorite phrase. Another brother pointed this out in the church to me as I shared this quote with him. Gossip robs our Lord of the church he deserves. Please feel that. Gossip, hating each other with words in the form of gossip, robs Jesus of the truth the church he deserves. Robs him. One more statement by Ortland. Gossip exposes the hostility in our hearts and discredits the gospel in the eyes of the world. Then we wonder why we don't see more conversions and why the ground is so hard. The ground ain't hard. It's the hearts. It's my heart. And it's yours. Do you do this? Yes, you do. But it doesn't belong here. You do. Repentant you belongs here. But not gossip. So John says in verse 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you, but do be surprised if a brother or sister does. John's not naive. But we should just be shocked that gossip ever happens. It ever tumbles out of our lips. So let's be a church who majors in confession and confrontation. Let's be strangers to the church-killing sin of gossip. Amen? This one way, I just took one word. Think about how many ways that we could love one another other than confession and confrontation. Just took one word this morning. One final point. It'll be brief, but it's important. Mount Evangelical Free Church, if we do not love one another, we have not been born again. 
If we do not love one another, we have not been born again. Now, the first half of verse 14 is my favorite sentence in the book of 1 John. Just, if you're going to memorize a ver- half a verse, it's only a half a verse in 1 John. Put this one to memory. 1 John 1, 14, first half. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Isn't that fantastic? One day you wake up and you realize you love the church. The church that would have to be crazy to have you for a member, right? Good grief. You love them. Kind of like family, like brothers and sisters. Oh, it's good. And, and it's assurance of salvation. Most important words there in 1 John 3, 14 is we know. We know it that we passed out of death. How do you know if you're a Christian? When you love the church. When you love the ever-loving people of God. That's when you know you've been born again. The people that you would not have chosen for yourself, but God has chosen for you, and you love them. One way to know you've been born again, one way to know you're a Christian, is that you love the people of God. Now, just as with other truths we've considered this morning, the reverse is true as well. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, but if we do not love one another, we have no reasonable assurance that we've been born again. I'm not saying you haven't. Actually, I am saying you haven't, because in chapter 4, he says so. In chapter 3, verse 14, it's just pretty clear you shouldn't have assurance of salvation if you hate your brothers and sisters. It's not yours. The assurance isn't yours. Now the question is, are you saved at all? And I think he goes on to say, look, anyone who doesn't love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's another way to say what he says in 1 John 4, 8. If anyone, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Don't ever think of loving other people in this church as just the icing on the cake of your following Jesus. It is the evidence that you do follow Jesus. Love for one another is the evidence that you know Jesus in the first place. So consider as we close 1 John 4, 19 to 21. 1 John 4, 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. That's how you get the resources to love, by the way. He loves you. He loves you. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother is a liar. He who does not love his brother, uh, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. If we don't love one another, we haven't been born again. This is, this is worth our careful consideration. Slow, thoughtful, prayerful study with brothers and sisters in this church. Discussion in community groups. And at least one more sermon. Because next week... So we've just talked about the nastiness of hating our brother. Next week we get to turn the corner to 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter. And it is, it'll blow you away. It is a wonderful description of love. 
1 Corinthians 13, we're going to study happy, hard help up close in some of the most famous words of the Bible. No one will know that we are Christ's disciples if we do not have love for one another. Mount Evangelical Free Church, we should love one another. This is Christianity 101. We should not hate one another, but it's a very real temptation for us. Gossip is just exhibit A, just exhibit A. If we do not love one another, we have not been born again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the Bible goes places that we would not go left to ourselves. This is one of those mornings, Lord, where you just sort of crouch behind the Bible as a preacher and push the text out toward the people and repent like crazy. Lord, there's no sinner I know better than me. And I pray, Lord, from from my heart and my home and the other brothers who lead in this church and those who lead groups and those who teach classes and those who parent and those who model. Lord, help us to love. Lord, if you could help us to do one practical thing, one great miracle, I would ask that we would make a pact that we only speak of sin if it is personal confession or personal confrontation that never again we would confess other people's sins for them. That would be extraordinary and we need your your help. Thank you so much that you love us. Lord Jesus, you died. You died for gossip. You died for hate. Help us. Help us to be a church loaded with love, full to overflowing with love, pulsing with love, so that the city of Mound looks in and says, oh my, what's going on there? Lord, all people will know that we are your disciples if we have love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.